0: Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly.
1: Hi there and welcome to PuckCast with Statsman and AJ, RotoWire's hockey podcast show. I'm Paul Bruno, and I'm reminding you to follow me at Statsman22, my partner on these pods through the whole regular season. AJ Scholes is back. And you can follow him at AJ 24 That's ajscholz 24 Well, AJ, we finally arrived at the NHL's second season. It's time for our first round playoff preview. To me, it's the most exciting time of the NHL regular season. There's always a chance for an upset in, in wild and wacky first-round play. And uh, it's a great time, for particularly for fans who engage in playoff uh, pools. Let's take a couple of minutes, given that uh, is before us, to discuss our favorite tr- strategies, AJ. What do you do to prepare, and what is your favorite strategy for playoff pools?
0: Yeah, so for me, I, I think you have to look at, at longevity um, as far as players go. Uh, I tend to stack heavy on the the teams that I think are going to make it. Last year, uh, we had a, a roto wire pool uh, last year put on by you know one of our uh, uh, team members here, Jordan Buckley, uh, that I you know did pretty well in. I, did, I didn't win, but I, I took home. A little bit of uh, of cash, and uh, what I did was I stacked Penguins and Sharks last year. I keyed in on those two teams, uh, and it really helped me to you know still accumulate points. You know, early on, uh, it'll be a little nerve wracking if you go that route uh, if you're you know not as high in the standings as some other people because you haven't spread yourself out as much. Uh, but once you know some of those teams get knocked out, you're really the only person left that can keep accumulating points, uh, and so that's where you make your money. Now, of course you know if the sharks and pens had gotten knocked out in the first round last year uh, i'd have been donating my 20 dollars to somebody (laughs) else so uh it's a a riskier strategy but i do think it's the best way uh to you know come out on on top in these pools
1: yeah aj i would echo those sentiments my strategy has long been pick from four teams i'll say uh, i went a little different than you i'll say the top four teams that are remaining for the conference finals that means you have four clubs to choose from in terms of the top two forward lines and top two defensive pairs on each of those clubs and go heavy there because as you said if you spread yourself too thin you're going to be losing a lot of players in the early rounds Assu- this is assuming the teams that you go go for in those four cases go far and you need them to do so of course you know it's it's a crap shoot if your team gets eliminated well hey you did to make a donation but if you get it right the strategy that I'm talking about and that you're talking about is pick the players you think are going to hang around the longest and pick from the teams rather that you're going to hang around the longest and that gives you the best shot to accumulate points in every round not just the first because it's great to have the first round scoring leader but you know what at the end of the playoff round you're going to see the leading scorers always come from no more than two or three or at the most four teams so really longevity is the key issue you got to hope for your guys to go far. AJ, yeah, that, AJ. Uh, before, sorry, before I, I throw back to you, I'll ask you. You you took a few minutes, and I did too, to look at what we did at the beginning of the season. Can you tell our listeners about our early season predictions?
0: Well, you know, Paul, I, I think we did okay. Um, we we certainly had a few teams that that we definitely missed on. Uh, both of us had Minnesota, Columbus, uh, and Toronto. Uh, you know, in the bottom half of of our. Uh, standings. I don't think either of us picked uh, any of those teams to make the postseason. So a, a little bit of a miss there uh, for us. Uh, and then, you know, on the flip side teams that I think we expected more from as well, where, you know, Tampa, Florida and Los Angeles, right. we were high on those teams and, and they didn't quite make it. But overall, you know, we hit most of the, the playoff teams. You know, we had, uh, you know, Nashville, St. Louis and Chicago. We had them all in. Uh, they're still playing in the postseason. Uh, I had Boston and Montreal uh, hit on those those teams, although we both were high on Tampa and they uh, missed out this year. So, you know, uh, a little bit of a hit and a miss. I will uh, throw one thing in there, uh, Paul. My, my uh, prediction on the Flyers was uh, mostly correct. They finished slightly higher than I had them, but uh, I believe you had them in as a wild card uh, contender and they were anything but so absolutely uh, I'll, I'll take the win on the flyers uh you were correct that the capitals would edge out pittsburgh for for the lead in the metropolitan i let my my homer homerism get me on that one <laughs> but uh overall i think we did pretty good a few uh, few swings and misses here and there though
1: yeah but i think you know what we did uh, well enough that if you were talking about batting averages we'd have made a hall of fame with our picks so <laughs> I'll, I'll stand by that aj
0: yeah absolutely and you know before we kick off the rest of the show as always i'll remind our listeners you know throughout the week if you have questions about your lineups uh, or you know fantasy hockey if you're looking uh, or in your pools if you have pool questions you know teams that you're thinking about stacking uh, players that you're targeting uh, or just hockey in general you have you know questions about some of the playoff matchups that we're going to go through today feel free to tweet at us and and we'll try and answer your questions throughout the week or, or during one of our shows as Paul mentioned, you can follow me at Scholes 24 you can follow Paul, the Statsman, at Statsman22.
1: All right, AJ, before we get into the nuts and bolts of our playoff preview, I want to give a nod to one of our sponsors at pristineauction.com. That's P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E auction.com. It's a great site. I've enjoyed uh, looking around. They have daily auctions ending nightly with hundreds of lots available, tons of stuff for the man cave, and always something perfect for the fan of any team. Yeah, I'm concerned about authenticity. I'm sure you are if you're buying into stuff like this. So yeah, we, they guarantee authenticity, and all items come with authentication from only the most trusted of sources. Affordability is also an issue, and most people don't think they can afford this stuff. But it turns out that a lot of the lots are much more affordable than you think when you start to look around. Uh, I I have the site open now, AJ, and I'm looking at it and going, you know, I remember these guys and uh, some of the impact in the history of football, particularly with a guy like Earl, Earl Campbell or Dick Butkus. And you get signed stuff, signed sweaters for $105. When you think about the cost of a sweater, uh, let alone that the fact that it's signed by a Hall of Famer, you can't get it much cheaper than this. So I think there, there are bargains to be had here. Dion Sanders, another one, a more current player, Rob Gronkowski, he didn't play last year. He seems to fight away into the headlines every couple of weeks. And so his jersey is 110 bucks basketball there's a michael jordan signed basketball 946 dollars a feature item so uh, for the best man uh, name in the history of basketball still for my money then a uh, derek jeter mariano rivera andy Pettitte, and jorge Posada signed yankees core four majestic authentic jersey also for 927 bucks so you can see there's some high-end, and then there's some mid-range and low prices that you can pay, but something for a fan of any era and any sport. Folks, it's quick and free and easy to register. It's free to bid, and you only pay when you win. Uh, lastly, I'll encourage you, please, to do us a favor. In the how did you hear about a section of their website, when you register, Rotowire is added to the drop-down, and we'd love it if you give us a nod to tell them at pristineauction.com that we sent you. Take a look at it. Uh, you won't be disappointed. AJ, we uh, won't be doing the FanDuel lineup thing today because we got eight series to preview. So we're going to shelve that this week, but we'll return to that next week when we get back into the next edition of our show with a progress report on these series. Uh, So... For today, let's take a look at each of the matchups, beginning in the Eastern Conference, where we have the Montreal Canadiens and the New York Rangers. This is a matchup that we anticipated for weeks because uh, the Rangers were locked into fourth place in their division, and that means they they get the first seed because they are higher than the Leafs in the wild card and so they get, they knew they were going to get the first place in the Atlantic, and Montreal locked that up some time ago. I'll go through a couple of stats, including the season series, then I'll have you chime in. We'll go back and forth on such things as the goalie, goalies to watch, impact players, dark horses, key matchups in the series, and finally our picks. So with the Montreal Rangers matchup, I'll I'll remind our listeners, both teams have pretty, pretty good special teams. Montreal, 19.6% on the power play, 81% on the pk the rangers a little bit better on the power play 20.2 but a little worse on the pk at 79.8 the season series three close games but montreal won them all aj uh, overall what's your sense here and then uh, lead us into some goalie talk
0: well i, I think montreal has gotten perhaps the worst uh matchup for a number one uh you know division winner uh getting to go against the rangers uh, who I believe had more points than they did in, in the regular season, or, or at least for a while they did. Uh, and so it's definitely going to be a tough one. It's going to be a, a good matchup. I expect it to be a, probably a pretty long series. I'd be surprised if this thing didn't go to six or seven games. Uh, as far as netminding goes, you know, it'll be Carey Price against uh, Henrik Lundqvist. And I don't know that there's a more uh, intriguing matchup between two net miners. Both these guys uh, have been just phenomenal over their careers. They've been great this season. Uh, Lundquist has had a little bit more struggles this year. Obviously, Kerry Price is coming back off that injury that, that cost him last season. Uh, and so, you know, they're definitely going to be motivated guys. I think what separates them a little bit is Kerry Price uh, is a little more stable. We've seen King Henrik uh, kind of lose his head from time to time. There was the uh, infamous uh, net shoving off uh, uh, last season. Uh, when the refs weren't uh, paying attention to a, to an equipment issue and so he's a little more prone to kind of those ups and downs which isn't something you're used to seeing out of a goaltender so it's it's an intriguing matchup to say the least uh paul i'm not sure uh if you see anything different in in this series
1: i do see it a very close uh, series in terms of the points in the regular season uh you made the uh, issue i'll i'll draw some light to that montreal finished one point ahead of the rangers on the regular season 103 to 102 there are some injury concerns here aj montreal rested shea weber but alex Alexei Emelin is nicked up and he's they're not sure about him for for Wednesday so that's a couple of uh, key things on the blue line there some nicks there on, on their two of their key guys Jordy Ben also a guy who's listed as day-to-day and up front Thomas Plakanitz joins the uh injury brigade so it's a matter of how seriously hurt they might be At, of course after a season long there's going to be some bumps and bruises but for their part the rangers come into this uh, series a little bit healthier i would say and uh, they really have uh, a lot less to lose uh, i think than the canadians uh, who who are on paper I guess a little more heavily favored so the goaltending matchup kind of a coin flip uh, if you look at the name recognition but certainly Carey Price is the guy who who is the standard bearer in terms of the top goalie in the league I would say still he's had a bit of a, a lesser second half than the first half but when the when the big games come this guy will be ready to play so uh, tough road to hoe for the Rangers I do expect it will be a low scoring uh, series as well how about some impact players AJ on both sides of the puck here
0: Well, you mentioned Shea Weber, and I think he's the biggest impact guy for Montreal. You know, he was back at practice yesterday. Everything's kind of trending uh, towards him being ready to go. Uh, You know, and for him, honestly, I I look at his offense as uh, kind of a bonus. I think his priority is going to be shutting down the Rangers' speed. Uh, he averages uh, 25.04 per game, and that includes 3.14 on the power play, plus another 2.56 on the PK. So this guy is on the ice constantly, and it, it shows in his defensive ability that he's a plus 20 on the year. Uh, and so he's definitely going to be the key, I think, on the on the back end for Montreal. Uh, for the Rangers, I think your impact player has got to be Matt Zuccarella. He came up just one point shy of of 60 points this season. Uh, His goals have been a a little uh, missing of late. He's 0 for the last six, but he's got seven helpers over that stretch. Uh, He did add a a pair of uh, assists in those contests versus Montreal earlier in the season. No goals in those outings. So I think they're going to need him to score during this series. But those are kind of my... Impact players. Uh, who do you like as far as uh, can make a difference in this series?
1: Well, I think if it comes down to playing with emotion, I really like a guy like Alex Radulov to be a factor in this series. Uh, he's had a quieter second half than first half, but maybe maybe he's getting primed for the playoffs and saving a little bit. And the same can be said for Max Pacioretty, probably the best uh, sniper that either team can bring forward in these playoffs. So uh, I I wonder if they can. Uh, Lead the Canadians' offense. I'm a little bit concerned about the fact that the Canadians went for size over speed at the trade deadline, adding the likes of uh, Steve Ott, Dwight King, uh, Mike McCarran to their roster. Mike McCarran coming up from the minors, obviously, and Jordy Benn on the blue line. These are all guys who are bigger rather than faster. And Montreal's uh, fa- sacrificed a little bit of speed. That could be something that uh, the, ex- uh, the Rangers try to exploit. And uh, I'm also counting on the Rangers' side of things their defense to kind of shut things down they have a couple of the better shutdown defenders in the league and they've spread them out on the defense pairs Dan Girardi and Mark Stahl will be charged with one of them one of them will be on the ice against Pacioretty's group all the time so that'll be their number one assignment so I think it's it's the Rangers ability to negate that Canadians top scoring line and that features Radiloff and Pacioretty that's the key matchup that I forecast in this particular series in terms of dark horse players AJ
0: so for, for Montreal, I think you have to look at uh, Arturi Lekkonen. Uh He had a little bit of a rough patch mid-season, but he's got 10 points in his last 10 games. In my opinion, they need to use him more on the power play. Uh, he's getting a little bit of time here and there. Um, But with how hot he's been lately, I really think he can take advantage of of the extra open ice. He's a player that really sees the ice well. And so I'd like to see him play a little more uh, with the man advantage. On on the other side, JT Miller played in all 82 games this season, has been a staple in the Rangers lineup. Now he's got zero points uh, in his last four. uh, And, you know, he's going to be on that um, top line, probably facing their best D. Uh, so I think it's, you know, going to be kind of up to, or excuse me, their top line is going to be facing the top, the bestie. So I think it's up to other guys like JT Miller to get on the score sheet and kind of get them going, uh, further down the depth chart. You know, I talked about Shea Weber. He's going to be, sh- you know, looking to shut down. He'll probably be paired with Alexi Emelin after the opening game. I would expect Emelin to be on that top pair once he's healthy to go. Uh, and so it'll be up to guys like JT Miller and some of their second and third line guys to get the scoring done. Uh, As far as your dark horses, Paul, who do you you see standing out in in this game?
1: Well, I look for Brandon Peary. This guy has been a goal scorer uh, that's emerged over the last couple of years. He had a bit of a quiet season this year, but he's capable uh, of being a good secondary scorer. He's shown it in his past, and I look for him to be a guy who might step up and make a bit of a difference for the Rangers. I love your call on Lekkonen. I'll say, I'll I'll, I'll echo that sentiment to a certain extent by saying Andrew Shaw is a guy that I'm going to be watching he came over from the Blackhawks and of course you're counting on him to bring his playoff experience to the table here and be a difference maker because up front I'm a little concerned that they the Canadians are leaning on Philip Deneau in a top six scoring situation but I think Andrew Shaw could slide into that role uh, at the play at playoff time and be a a bit of a factor in that same way so those are the two guys that I look at in that regard potentially an unexpected impact player. Key matchup for you, AJ.
0: Well, you teased it a little bit, Paul, and and it's going to be uh, this speed of the Rangers versus kind of the size of Montreal, uh, and and Montreal really with that added size and the the uh, coaching change to Claude Julian has improved defensively. They've looked a lot better. Uh, their their penalty kills gotten better. Uh, their goals allowed has gotten better since they made that change. And so I think it's going to be a matter of kind of using that size, that grit that they've got to slow down the Rangers. Now that's, that's tough in today's NHL with the interference calls and stuff like that, you know, 20, 20 years ago, even 15, 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, to be honest with you, that might be a, a proven strategy. But nowadays guys can get around uh, the opposing team, you know, without having to worry about, you know, the hand checks, the, the grabbing, the hooking. Um, so, It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, and I do think if it opens up into a more back-and-forth game where we're getting up and down the ice in kind of these dramatic swings, uh, I think that's going to uh, be a benefit for New York. I think they'll thrive in that kind of setting And so I think, you know, what plays out there is really going to determine how this series uh, unfolds.
1: Yeah, I love the call, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think that speed is going to win over over size. So, AJ, when we lean lean into the next part of our uh, analysis, it's time to predict. And I'm going to say the Rangers are going to take this one in seven games. Uh, uh, But it's almost a coin flip. And I guess from your perspective, uh, you might agree.
0: Well, I'm going to go with the Canadians in seven. And so I think... uh, You know, it's uh, as you mentioned, it's kind of a coin flip. This will be a a brutal matchup, and I think it could really impact uh, how either team does in the next round just because they're going to be so tired from from this kind of extended series. Now, I will point out that the last time Michel Terrien was fired midseason, that team went on to win the Stanley Cup that year. And so that could be a good omen uh, for Habs fans out there. Oh,
1: please, no. (laughs) The next series up in the Atlantic is the Ottawa Senators against the Boston Bruins. The Senators' uh, power play, not as dynamic as some of the others in the postseason. That could be a difference maker. They're hitting on 17% efficiency. Their penalty kill, also not one of the better marks at 79.7. You look at the flip side and you see Boston at 21.7 and 85.7, respectively. Though when you look at the season series the Ottawa Senators swept this uh, season series I had it written down the other way AJ don't sweat it it's Ottawa that took four games don't <laughs> don't take me to task but uh, it was Ottawa that did sweep them uh, a couple of games, games went to overtime but fact of the matter is Ottawa had Boston's number in fact Boston did not win a game against an Ontario-based team all season long they went 0 for 8 against Leafs and the and the Sens so uh, from their perspective I know that they're probably not feeling as confident as they otherwise might be uh, but still You've got to look at the experience that some of their players have. Uh, I think this could be a little bit closer than uh, that 4-0 mark does show. In terms of your uh, perspective, AJ, what do you think?
0: Well, I, I definitely like uh, what you're, you're, you're selling there on, on how this series might shake out a little bit. Um, I do think Boston is better than what they showed in, in the series. The fact that Ottawa got all four games on them, I definitely don't expect a, a quick sweep uh, like that in in the postseason. Uh, I think the interesting thing will be kind of the net minding.' I'll, I'll you know transition into that right away for us. and and it's gonna be Craig Anderson against Tuka Rask here. And what I think is interesting is both goalies at stretches this season have been really, really hot, gone on extended winning streaks, but they've both been really ice cold. And I think Tuka Rask probably has a little bit more of a name ID. Uh, And a little more of a recognition from that standpoint, Um, you know, although this season with with everything that happened with Craig Anderson's uh, wife and and her recovery with cancer, I think he's obviously on on top of mind as well. Um, But so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I really think they're relatively evenly matched here. And so it'll come down, I think, to whichever guy is hotter at the moment. I'm not sure if you want to give one guy the edge or not. But for me, I think they're pretty even.
1: Yeah, I would suggest you're right. Uh, I think Rask is not the lights out goalie that he's been in the past. A little bit exposed because of the quality of the Bruins defense in front of him. Not quite as good as it's always been. Of course, Anderson is one of the feel good stories in, around the league this year with what he's been dealing with on a personal level. And really, for Ottawa ha- to have any success, he's got to continue to play at that elite level. So uh, there are some chinks uh, in the armor of both these guys. Neither one is a guy who is in the Carey uh, Price, Henrik Lundqvist uh, realm, in my opinion. So there will be some more goal scoring in in this series than uh, that other one that we just previewed uh, the way I see it. In terms of impact players, AJ, one of the guys that you're on the highlight is a bit dinged up, a little concerned uh, from my perspective about Eric Carlson.
0: Yeah, he's coming off a foot injury now. uh, He has been uh, uh, cleared and, and is gonna play in game one. Now the question is, how cleared is he uh you know obviously he's you know medically not gonna you know do any significant damage otherwise they're not going to put him back out there but is he you know ready to go as if this were the end of the regular season game doesn't really matter a hundred percent or is he playoff ready to go which is a big distinction Uh, guys are willing to you know power through injuries uh, a little bit more with everything on the line and so i think I think uh, ultimately with Carlson, it's going to come down to his ability to score. Uh, and he had .92 points per game uh, this season just behind Brent Burns uh, for that that lead in, in points per game. So it'll kind of factor in on whether or not he can you know slip one past uh, Tuka Rask on occasion here. On the flip side, I think Patrice Bergeron is a player that, that needs to be on his game for Boston to, to get out of this opening matchup. And I think part of his job is gonna to be to kind of stabilize and settle down Brad Marchand. I mean, they've played for so long, he knows kind of how to work with him, but Marchand has this, you know, tendency, we just saw it with the two-game suspension, to get, you know, out of his normal rhythm, not really thinking about the game at hand. Um, and so I think that's gonna probably be one of the biggest keys for Bergeron. Obviously, his uh, consistency is a a concern. He can't afford some of the cold streaks he had this season. He does have 17 points on the power play, and I think he needs to keep firing. He's got 23 shots in his last five games, and getting pucks to the net is going to be huge, especially against Craig Anderson.
1: AJ, I'm a little bit concerned about the injury award uh, in Boston's case. A couple of their key defensemen look like they're not going to play in the first game. And I wonder, in co- Tory Krug's case, whether it might even be more than one day in one game. Look at the he's the uh, linchpin of the uh, Boston power play in terms of power play quarterback so that's a real key one certainly Carlson is the same on the other side but I think that Ottawa was being careful with him I do expect him to play but the odds are that Krug won't play and also Brandon Carlo is a guy who's not expected to play in game one so Boston really going into the the opener of this series at least, with uh, two of their key guys on the shelf on the blue line. I think that kind of tips the scales early on in their favor for me, if I can lead into uh, the rest of the discussion here. Impact players, you see Carlson Bergeron. I see... Carlson of course for them but I'm also going to suggest that David is a guy in Boston that could tip the scales in their favor they've long ridden on coattails of that one two punch at center and I think Krejci's kind of flown under the radar for much of this season but he's a strong playoff performer not a not a guy that I would undersell but I still think he's too much of a quality guy to call a dark horse so I'll include him here as my impact player for the Bruins in terms of dark horses in this series who do you see
0: well Alex Burroughs for Ottawa I think his name is going to be down, uh, especially when you're picking playoff pools. I'm I'm expecting not a lot of guys will be on him. And I think it's because he's still got that kind of uh, uh, taint, if you will, from having been in Vancouver and everything that, you know, has been going on with them this season. But he's got 11 points in 20 games with Ottawa. Uh, He's a a four-time 20-goal scorer uh, over his career. He's had a couple of bad seasons, but that's been on a bad team. Uh, With the Senators, he's got a 20.7 shooting percentage. So this is a player that you really want to maybe consider in some of your pools. I think he's going to have an impact on this series uh, in a a big way. On the flip side, Drew Stafford, another guy that comes over to a new team at the trade deadline and has been doing okay with his new team, not as well as Burroughs. But Stafford's got 20-plus goals. He had that three times with Buffalo. He did it once with Winnipeg. Yes, his numbers are down, but I think he can provide some secondary scoring on this team, especially, you know, with uh, guys like Noel Asari out, um, you know, and uh, Krejci missed practice the other day, although I think it was just kind of a bumps and bruises maintenance thing. But if they lose anybody, obviously Stafford's a guy that can step up and he needs to, I think, play with guys that have a little bit more of an ability to get him the puck. Guys like Krejci and Pasternak who can get him the puck. And so those... Are kind of two guys that I see as uh, you know being maybe X factors, dark horses. Who do you see as a as a potential sleeper in this series?
1: I'm going to suggest two veteran defensemen. Uh, certainly, if this was five or six years ago, you might t- talk about. Chara and Phaneuf in, in terms of impact players but I think both of these guys have key roles to play and they might be elevated in scope just because of the fact that uh, the guys that we've already highlighted Carlson and Krug, Krug come into this are banged up so it might be whoever is the more impactful of Chara or Phaneuf in kind of that two, uh, two defenseman role uh, overall, Chara certainly can play the game at an elite level, but uh, you 've got to worry about the mileage uh, on him uh, at an advancing age for a hockey player. Funuuf has had a bit of a resurgence in 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 Ottawa cast more properly as a number two defenseman or even a number three on a second pairing. but uh, in a short series like this, both of these veterans have been there before, and I look for both of them to to elevate. Uh, over what have, has been kind of middling campaign for Chara, but Phaneuf, for his part, has been more impactful in terms of the offense he's generated and the minutes that he's been able to eat. He's up to around about 23, 24 minutes a night and will be pressed to do at least that as long as there's some issue around Carlson. So two blue liners that we wanted to highlight there. In terms of the key matchup, uh, what do you feel is the key matchup in this series?
0: Well, you mentioned Dion Phaneuf, and I think him and Mark Mathad, uh, how they hold up against his Boston check. Now the Bruins like to pay, play a possession style game, and so their key is to get control of the puck, and they're going to forecheck aggressively. Now, Fennough is thirty-two, Mark Methad is thirty-one. He's coming off a, an injury. He's expected, I think, to be in the lineup uh, for Game One, but he might miss that one if if he's not in for Game One. I'm sure he'll be there for Game Two, and these guys are going to get a ton of pressure from this check. And it's going to come down to, you know, turnovers. Can they, you know, get the puck up the ice, get out of their defensive end? And I think uh, it's going to be the key matchup to what decides uh, how this series shakes out. Paul, what do you see as far as a, a key element of this series?
1: I think it's the top two centers on each team. For me, the combination of Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci is a little more... Uh, notorious, I'll say, and something that they can hang their hat on more than Kyle Turris and Derek Broussard, who kind of hasn't delivered to the extent that I thought he would when he came over from the New York Rangers. Turris has been really good when he's been good. But he's gone MIA for, for some stretches as well. So I just look at the, the playoff pedigree offered by the dynamic duo in, in Boston. And I don't think the, rain, the uh, uh, Senators have the shutdown capability to negate one or both of them. So I, I think that that makes me lean in terms of Boston a little bit, despite that 4-0 season series. AJ, what about <coughs> your, your
0: prediction for this series? Let's get down to it. Well, I've got the Bruins in five I think Rask, if he's on his game, is still one of the best uh, in the NHL. The top line for Boston is almost unstoppable. Marchand and Bergeron paired with whoever. I mean, I think it'll be David Backus, but it really doesn't matter. They've succeeded kind of with anybody over the years. Uh, and the Sens, I think, are just too reliant on Eric Carlson for scoring. Uh, you're, in my opinion, no matter how good your leading defenseman is in the offensive zone he can't be the leading scorer on your team that just shows too much of a reliance on that he needs to be able to also focus on his defensive responsibilities not on having to put every goal into the net or having an assist on every goal and getting up into the play and so for me those kind of two factors will get the Bruins through in five games
1: you know what I'm gonna say the same thing it would be almost better for from my perspective if Ottawa was opening this series on the road in fact they're at home and the pressure will be on them to, to hold serve and I just don't see it and I think Bruins are going to get at least a split there and it'll lead them into uh, a chance to take control of the series and I, one that they won't give up I think they're going to take this in six games so we're on the same side of the equation there now uh, we'll talk about perhaps the most lopsided series on paper in this in this round of playoffs but it might be, I'll make a case that it might be a little closer than people think. When we talk about Washington and Toronto, the Caps power play and the Leafs power play among the best in the league, 23.1% for Washington, uh, 83% on the PK, 83.8 on the PK, Leafs 23.8 on the A power play, one of the uh, better than Washington by a fraction, and the PK was a little bit worse. But boy, you combine these numbers on both squads, and Scotty Bowman once said, AJ, that if you could add your power play percentage and your PK percentage and be over 100, you got a really good team. So both these teams have really good teams, is what what I'm telling you in terms of the offense that they bring. In terms of a season series, it's one of these where uh, each team won in regulation, and the Caps won another one in overtime. In that game, the Leafs were on the road nursing a, a couple of leads that they couldn't hold, and the Caps eventually won them. I'll note also, the Leafs drove Brad, Braden Holtby from the net in two of the games that played between these three, uh, in the three games they f- played against one another. Of course, there's some injury concerns about Freddie Anderson, but I hear that he's going to be ready for game one. And so that me- means he goes against Braden Holtby. Why don't you break down your thoughts on the teams in general and uh, the goaltending?
0: Well, I think that that season series is going to be somewhat indicative of what we see uh, in this matchup. I, I think a lot of people are expecting Washington to just cruise uh, into the next round. Possibly, you know, you might see some predictions out there of, of the Capitol sweeping uh, Toronto. And I just don't think that's going to happen. The the Maple Leafs have a ton of offensive scoring power. Uh, yes, Brain Holpe is a lights out netminder. But as you mentioned, he, he has gotten chased from goal uh, by the offensive powerhouse. And, you know, you talk about experience in a, in a lot of cases, but sometimes there's something to be said for not knowing that you're supposed to be, you know, outmatched and outgunned. And I think the, the youth of this Leafs team is going to really help them to make this a series. They don't know that they're supposed to get beat early and easily. Uh, that You know, the pressure isn't on them either. I I think they're going to be in a situation where, you know, Paul, you and I have talked all year that this is a bonus year for the Maple Leafs. And and sure, the city is going to be excited and and they're going to want them to do well. But I don't think there's a whole lot of pressure on them to produce this season. And so I think that's going to free them up as well. So I think it's going to be close. Now, in terms of net minding, uh, Braden Holpe is just heads and tails above freddie anderson in terms of elite status and and ability i mean that's and it's not a knock on freddie anderson he's been a a good goalie all season long he's won some games for them Uh, he's come up big when he's been needed but braden holpe is just one of the best uh, out there and has been for a long time he always is consistently over that 40 win mark this is his third straight season with 40 plus wins so he's a workhorse that's in there all the time and he comes away with wins. And so for me, I think that's probably what's going to end up tipping the scales in this matchup uh, is Braden Holpe's just uh, heads and tails above, freddie anderson unfortunately
1: yeah if you look at Holtby's uh, record okay people are going to say he gave up six goals against uh, arizona in the last week of the season but he followed that up with a a couple of efforts that were shut down efforts kept the goals against below two per game the rest of the last three starts so uh, i think he's got his game in order for the postseason freddie anderson as you said is going to have to be lights out if the leafs have any hope in this series he has to be the best player on the ice and that's just a lot to ask for a guy who's been nicked up he's been hitting the head three times in the last month aj i can't think i can't believe that he's heading into this series at 100 percent and, you know, you can say all you want about Curtis McElhenny being a quality backup. There's just no way either of these guys measures up uh, to Braden Holpe, one of the top goalies in all of hockey. But Anderson will have to be his equal and then more than that, perhaps to give the Leafs any kind of a hope to even extend this series beyond five or six games. In terms of impact players, AJ, you want to highlight a couple of names?
0: Yeah, well, it'd obviously be easy to say Alexander Ovechkin here for the Capitals, and and that's you know, no knock on him. I just want to give our listeners some other uh, impact players because he will be kind of the key to their team. Now, outside of him, a guy I'm looking to is TJ Oshie. Uh, we've seen what happens when Ovechkin doesn't have any help. It's what's caused them not to make the playoffs since he's been there. The last time they made it was 98. That was long before he showed up. And so he needs some help. And it's going to be up to guys like TJ Oshi. Uh, and Nicholas Backstrom, but uh, I like that you know Oshi's got 33 goals this season. That's a career high, and that's while only playing 68 games. So he's scoring in, in a pretty quick efficiency. Uh, if you you know extend that out over what he would have gotten in an 82 game season, it's right about 40 uh, 40 goals. And so that would have been an even better season. he'd have been right there for the Rickard Rocket uh, trophy. The only concern i have about him is despite averaging 254 on the power play per game his impact there has been minimal i think he needs to find a way to contribute more whether that's you know goals or assists to ovechkin i think he needs to have a stronger role uh, on the power play on the flip side uh, austin matthews has to be their impact player you know despite all their young talent the buck stops with matthews if he slumps like he did in mid-march this season's going to end really, really quick. Uh, The other guys are talented, they're capable, but they're not going to pick up the team and and carry them through. Uh, And so he has to be, like Freddie Anderson, he has to be on top of his game. Paul, what about you as far as impact players go? I'm
1: I'm looking at the number two centers on each team. I'll say Evgeny Kuznetsov has to be impactful for the the, uh, Caps to give them a bona fide second scoring line because you know the Leafs are going to throw their best checking unit against Baxter Movechkin and Oshie. Oh, so a second scoring unit imperative for the Caps and it's been there for much of the season so Kuznetsov has delivered the goods there were, in fact some sometimes during the season where he his line got number one uh, skating minutes uh he's ably supported on the wings by Marcus Johansson and the veteran Justin Williams there so I love that the potential of that second scoring line but I'll counter that by saying that uh, Nazem Kadri for the Leafs is my impact player for the Toronto club he's a guy that not only has elevated his game offensively but really has learned how to play defensively quite well and he's always getting the tough matchup of of the opposition so you can bet on home ice he's going to see a lot of the backstrom unit but I think he's got the, the chance to negate one of the top two units even in Washington. I don't think the Caps can keep him away from both Backstrom and Kuznetsov so I think he's going to be impactful there and maybe more important than than any of the Washington centers in terms of what the Leafs need to get from from their checking line which has a couple of guys that can score on it as well. So number two uh, centers key in this series for me. In terms of the key matchup uh sorry dark horses in this series AJ.
0: Well, we've talked all season long about how the Maple Leafs kind of have three interchangeable lines. And so I think Andre Burakovsky is going to be a a dark horse in this matchup. His ability to score from the third line is going to help them compete with that depth in Toronto. Uh, He has just one goal since returning from, you know, a mid-March injury. Uh, And so that's definitely a concern. But I think he's going to be need to be a factor uh, if they're going to compete with kind of the depth that they have. Uh, on the least forward lines now for Toronto, my dark horse is a player who I know has given you heartburn over the over the course of the season and and beyond that, and that's Jake Gardner. Yep. Yes, he hasn't scored since February 21st, but he's got seven helpers in as many games. A pair of those have come on the power play. He averages twenty-one thirty-two. And he's going to be relied on heavily uh, to get the job done on the blue line this season. And now, especially if Roman Polak or Nikita Zaitsev miss any time, it sounds like both those guys might be ready to go. But if for some reason they're not, I think there's going to be that much more reliance on Jake Gardner on the back end. So those are my dark horses. Paul uh, who do you uh, see stepping up?
1: Well I see for the Caps Andre Burakovsky. This guy has got star potential written all over him. He's played a lot of long stretches with Kuznetsov. It wouldn't surprise me to see him get second line minutes. That's for some stretches of these playoffs. It might even happen in this round and like you said it's kind of the depth forward that that will make a difference in some series and it could be the Leafs spend so much time worrying about Kuznetsov and Backstrom and uh, leave maybe the third line, which has some skill in Eller and Burakovsky uh, leave them un- unchallenged uh, in terms of checking assignments. And then for the Leafs, I'll say Nikita Zaitsev is a real possibility for a dark horse, he may get one of the assignments to, to kind of negate Ovechkin whenever he's on the ice, and I could see the countryman taking great pride in that assignment, but there is some question about his health. I'm hoping that he's going to be okay and up to the task, because you know he's going to give it his all, and he's been a pleasant surprise for the Maple Leafs in terms of of development all year long to the point where he is uh, viewed in some circles as as maybe the best all-around defenseman the Leafs have to offer and that means for sure he's going to get a long look at uh, the great eight uh, of the Capitals. In terms of prediction time AJ and the key matchup, uh, let's let's group them together and tell me what you got, your key matchup and your picks for the series.
0: Well so my key matchup is going to be forward depth, I, I talked about this a little bit already um, but, you know, both these teams have shown an ability to score from top to bottom. And obviously the top groups is going to be Ovi's line and, and Matthew's line. And that's going to be an important matchup. But I think it's likely going to come down to what the third line, uh, you know, produces. And it, that's going to be, you know, Conley, Ehler, uh, Eller, and Burakasi going up against really JVR, Bozak and Martner. Now, I know technically they're listed as the second line, but let's be honest. Uh, Austin Matthews line is not the third line on this team. <laughs> <laughs> That's just not the case. And so, really, that third line is JVR, Bozak, and Marner. And so, I think it's going to come down to how these two uh, third lines, how they produce. They might not necessarily uh, line up against each other, but how their production level shakes out as far as picks. I'm going to go with the Caps in six uh, for all of Toronto's scoring ability. I think they're simply just too outclassed in goal. As I mentioned, Hopi is one of the best in the world. And Anderson certainly has his moments, but I just don't expect him to stand up under Washington's kind of relentless attack. Uh, So that's the matchup and pick for me. Paul, how do you see it shaking out?
1: Well, I'm concerned about the Capitals' forecheck as a Leaf fan. I know they're going to be all over the Leaf defense, and it's banged up as we touched on with the injuries to Zaitsev and Polak. You got to think that uh, Washington's been watching the tapes of the recent games that the Leafs have been playing, and pressure on the Leafs' D is a key. If the Leafs can somehow withstand it, they can extend this series, but if they don't do well with that, it could be short. So uh, I'm hoping to find some, some path for the Leafs to extend this series, and I do think that it could go six games I think you give one to the Leafs for stealing the game with, based on their goalie and maybe another one just because they've got all that offensive skill but I think Washington is just too much of a, uh, a team all around for the Leafs to to possibly topple them at this stage in their rebuild the Caps, the Caps are a team that needs to win this year and I think they get past the Leafs in six games too I agree with you. Now the series that come, it's closest to home for you. The pens and the jackets. This has been something you knew about for a long time. It would they would match up. Pens have a, an edge on the power play with a 23.1 mark, uh, 79.8 on the PK. The ja- jackets are a little bit better on the PK, 82.5, but a little worse on the power play at 19.9. Season series, not much to choose from when you look at it. The team split four games in goal you have to give a bit of a nod to uh, the Columbus guy I'll, I'll take the lead there AJ over Murray it looks like he's going to get the nod for Pittsburgh to start uh, how do you see this one from the netminers and uh, based on what they've shown you through in the regular season
0: well I mean I think it's a little early to, to give too much of an edge to, to Bob Roski here and that's only <laughs> okay. because <laughs> I know I'm, I'm trying my best to actually uh, articulate a good argument here and not just sound like a homer but if you look at Bob he's dropped each of the last four contests so he's definitely on a little bit of a slump of late uh, Matt Murray has been you know a little uh, better obviously he's won his last four uh, and so that's kind of lights and uh, light and day difference now, Murray did have a little bit of a stinker out there where he allowed four goals to get into the back of the net and his teammates bailed him out, which is the nice thing for Pittsburgh goaltending. That's always been the key. They have kind of elite guys. Uh, the Flowers been that way for, for over a decade, an elite player. And every once in a while when he has a bad game, he gets bailed out by the offense. And so my concern is uh, for Columbus fans out there is if Bob Roski has a bad game, I'm not sure that their offense can bail him out quite the same way that the Penguins can. And so uh, I'm not as quick as as some others might be to write this off as a uh, one-sided goaltending matchup here. Uh, So for me, that's kind of how I see it shaking out uh, in the Nets
1: yeah, I, I'm going to stick with my nod that Bobrovsky is the guy with a better pedigree. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I don't think it's going to be the determining factor unless Bobrovsky plays lights out, though. I think there's just too much skill uh, in terms of the Penns uh, lineup, assuming they're healthy. And, and that swings us over to the impact players. AJ, I know one of the guys you want to highlight is a guy who has a bit of a question mark in terms of his recent uh, health status. So why don't you lead into that?
0: Yeah, Evgeny Malkin is going to kind of be the key, I think, for Pittsburgh. His, his impact will obviously be whether or not he plays. Now it's been trending towards him being back on Wednesday night. And so hopefully for me, he will be. Uh, he's a point-per-game player throughout his career. And his presence in the lineup really frees up Sidney Crosby. It kind of allows uh, someone else to take some of that pressure. He's a little bit more of a physical player as well than uh, Crosby. And so I think the other factor, too, is that if you add him in to a power play that's already converting at 23.1 percent, they become even that much more dynamic. I mean, that's throwing out your forwards in that group are going to be Sid Kessel and uh, Malkin. You might stick uh, Shiri out there still uh, with maybe uh, Schultz on the on the blue line. And so that becomes a pretty dynamic group with him back in. On the flip side, it's going to be Brandon Dubinsky for their impact player. Uh, This is partially production-based. He's got 12 goals and 29 assists this season, uh, but he knows how to ruffle Sidney Crosby's feathers. They're they're two guys that have gone at each other time and time again, and he's shown his ability to get Sid off his game. Part of that comes from the fact that he leads the team in hits at 248. That's 3.1 per game, so he's going to dish those hits out and he's probably going to dish him out against Sidney Crosby, which I think that makes Malkin's re, uh, you know, re-emergence into a lineup even that much more important for Pittsburgh. I don't think they can get it done without Malkin in the lineup. I think they're going to need him. Whether it's game one or game two remains to be seen. But if he doesn't play at all, I think they're really going to struggle to get out of this series, and probably won't get past the second round, even if they do. Uh, as far as your impact players, Paul, who you got?
1: Well, I agree with you on Malkin. To me, it's the Pens' fortunes do hinge on him. I mean, I saw the Pens' lineup without him uh, when the Leafs clinched their playoff spot the other night, and you know, oh, uh, you had to
0: rub it in, didn't you? Yeah, well, you were all
1: over me when the club <laughs> was winning there for a few minutes. But I'll tell you, I celebrated. I was in the stands. It was a great, great moment. Uh, uh for me I really enjoyed it but you really saw what the pens have missing when when you think about not only Malkin but you've got Carl Hagelin out of the lineup there too there's some veterans that are missing they need to get Malkin back just to have that third elite scorer to go along with Kessel and and Crosby who put on a great show and uh, really look to me like they're ready to go in terms of uh the Columbus side you touched on the physicality of Brandon Dubinsky I'm going to say the same goes for a guy like a Scott Hartnell uh, is a guy that I like uh, as an impact player for Columbus he's a guy that's been in the thorn in the side of your Penguins for a long time dating back to their time with Philadelphia so I think he could be an impact player on the other side of the coin in terms of dark horses AJ
0: well I'll start with Nick Bonino uh, he was part of that HBK line last season He's got uh, two goals and three assists in, in his last four. And I think his ability to step up in the postseason, his willingness to put his body on the line to block shots, he came up with some incredible blocks that helped them seal uh, the Stanley Cup victory last season. And he's a critical piece of both their power play on the second unit as well as their penalty kill. And so Nick Benino, I think, is going to be the linchpin of how you know the rest of the, the bottom lines uh, kind of shake out. On the flip side, you got to look at Jack Johnson as far as you know a dark horse goes. Uh, with Wierinski in danger of missing time, I think he uh, is going to be that much more of a key. Now he is prone to some hot and cold stretches, and so he'll he'll score for two or three games, and then he'll do nothing for for a couple. And so it'll depend on whether or not he's hot or cold right now as i mentioned with defenders you know you're always looking at how much time they see on the ice. He averages 2149 which is right about the middle. He's not you know he's not a guy that's going to see 30 minutes but he's certainly going to be out there uh, when he needs to be and again with Wierinski potentially sidelined i think he could see even more time. Paul as far as dark horses uh, who do you got?
1: Well more size and physicality for Columbus. Brandon Saad another guy who has a playoff pedigree coming out of the Chicago system and uh, the the Columbus Jackets will lean on on that uh, brand of hockey in this series heavily I mentioned Hartnell in that same way so I think there's a bit of a theme here in terms of the game plan for Columbus that needs to be executed for them to have a shot on the other side of the coin I'm also going to highlight for Pittsburgh we know that Crosby's been playing with a couple of kids most most of the season but I'll highlight a third youngster and that's Brian Rust who's had a fine end to his season co- coming up with three goals in the last few games and could be the anchor to a second strong power uh, strong uh, power play unit perhaps but also a second scoring line uh, assuming Malkin comes back uh, healthy uh, maybe Rust partners with him and or Kessel uh, factors in to that unit Uh, the mixing and matching maybe they'll go with the HBK again if Hagelin can get back in the lineup unlikely though so maybe Rust fills that role and it becomes an RBK line instead of an HBK there so Byron Rust for me for the Penguins has to come up large for you guys Uh, in terms of the key matchup in this series AJ
0: well, I think uh, we haven't talked about the Penguins' defense, and and the question is going to be whether they can absorb the loss of Chris Letang. Now they have gotten Trevor Daly back, Olimata, and that's kind of crucial. They've got Strite kind of waiting in the wings, really. He's uh, been kind of the odd man out of late. Uh, and the Blue Jackets, I think, the, they like to spread their offense out a lit out a little bit. There's not really kind of a key player necessarily that gets all their goals like you would see with the penguins and and they play physical as you mentioned and so i think that's really going to challenge this defensive core of pittsburgh to kind of see what uh they how they hold up without chris letang there are there you know matchups and in, in that kind of stuff that uh tortorella can take advantage of but these two coaches know each other really well so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out as well but i think the pens d against uh, the Columbus uh, forecheck in in their forwards is going to be the key matchup uh, as far as I see it. What's a key for, for you? I think it's
1: the size of those forwards at Columbus on the Pens D. Like you said, if they can hit them enough, I saw what they did against the Leafs in the final game of the season. They were relentless in terms of the forecheck and their physicality on the Leaf defense. that has some good skating ability, so they did catch them. And if they can catch uh, one more or one or more of the Penns blue liners, the Pens could really be in a box here. But I'm counting on the on the Pittsburgh skill overall to give them the edge uh, in the Duke. I'll lead that off with my comment. I think the Pens do escape this series and maybe that's the best way to call it but it's gonna be a tough one I'm gonna say in six games
0: well I really debated whether or not to say pens in four but it seemed like too much (laughs) of a homer pick Uh, I can justify pens in five I think Uh, Columbus just don't have that elite score which I I think is is crucial for the postseason you need a guy that can step up and I just don't see them having anybody in that kind of elite level and I think eventually that catches up to you in, in a long season And as I said earlier, uh, it it can't be overlooked that Brabrowski dropped four straight to close out the season with a 3.33 goals against average in those games. Uh, And I think the Pens are already one of the top elite offenses in the league. And if you add Geno back to that, it's just going to be too much uh, for Columbus to handle. And so for me, I got Penguins in five.
1: All right. So let's go on to the next series. And that means we go to the other side uh we're in the western conference where we see the chicago blackhawks facing the nashville predators hawks power play 18 percent pk 77 some of the specialty teams they add up to only 95.7 points that's a low combo there but predators aren't much better with an 18.9 and 80.9 respectively in terms of the season series it was kind of lopsided in favor of the hawks and uh, in goal uh Corey Crawford and Pekka Rinne, two of the top 10 goalies in hockey, you would concede. So let's begin our analysis there. And uh, what are your thoughts?
0: Well, I actually think this probably will be one of the more uh, a one-sided matchups uh, in the in the postseason. And I think it's mostly because Chicago's just going to be too much to handle for, for Nashville. Uh, this is a team that's been there. They're really approaching, you know, if they haven't already, they're really approaching that kind of dynasty level of uh of success of late and you know we talk about them every year how are they going to retool they're losing this guy they're losing that guy but somehow the organization finds pieces to slot in with kind of their you know main core Uh, i do think that that power play number is a bit of a concern it's it's surprisingly low for a team as as stacked with talent as as they are and so that'll definitely be a concern As far as the goaltenders go, obviously the edge has to go to Corey Crawford for all of his success, uh, both in the regular season and in the the playoffs. But Peke Rene is a solid netminder. You know, we talked uh, about him not necessarily being quite elite status of late, but but he can be there. Uh, You know, he's had a little bit of a drop off, but he can step up and be elite. So it'll be close, but I think I give the slight edge to Crawford uh, as far as the netminders go.
1: And uh, we talk about, I'll agree with that assessment. So we'll slide into the impact players discussion. And I'll lead that up by saying for me, Jonathan Taves is Chicago's leader and he's going to show it. He's been showing it the second half of the season, scoring at a higher rate than he normally does, but also playing that game with the fire in his eyes that says, yeah, I've been to the playoffs and I've won and I know what it takes and I'm going to do it again. And that's just the way he's looked to me on the ice. And uh, I just don't see anybody on the, on the, other side of the coin. They have a couple of elite defensemen and I'll say one of them could be an uh, impact player and that's P.K. Subban, uh, he's got to elevate his game to that elite level. He's kind of been a little bit below uh, where he, I'd like him to be or where he's been much of his career in Montreal. Maybe getting accustomed to life in Nashville, he's probably had a little more fun there and, and not <laughs> taken it as seriously as he might in, in Montreal. But this is the time to get serious and you'll have to match Captain Sirius in order for, for the Preds to have any chance there. So you're slant on the impact players of your
0: choice. Yeah, well, I think it uh, starts and ends with Patrick Kane in Chicago. You know, I think most of this lineup is kind of built to absorb injuries and slumps. Uh, They've got guys that can slot into roles and and kind of fill responsibilities. I mean, you look at their lines right now. Marion Hossa is a fourth liner for them. If anybody were slumping or got hurt, obviously he could slot into even a top line role if necessary. But Patrick Kane's kind of the one guy I don't think they could withstand uh, him being off his game he averages kind of an astonishing 21 24 per night uh, and that includes you know over three minutes on on the power play where he's got seven goals and 16 assists so i think patrick kane's really the one guy that can't afford to lose or to have off his game uh, in the music city i look to victor arvidson he's not really a household name uh, but he actually tied Philip Forsberg for the goal lead on the team this season and tied Ryan Johansson you know, in points for, for the lead. Uh, he's got four power play goals plus five shorthanded goals, and so he's playing in all three phases. I think he's a talented player who who doesn't get enough credit for how good he has been of late. Uh, so those are my impact, guys. As far as dark horses go, uh, I like Artem Anisimov for Chicago. He is coming back from an injury you know, he's expected to be healthy after missing the last 13. And so I think that's kind of what gives him that that dark horse status in my mind that he hasn't been in the lineup. I think he provides some much needed top six depth because uh, for me, Tanner Carroll is simply not a second line center. And so I think Anissa Moss slots into that second line spot alongside Kane and Panarin. And that allows Carroll to kind of revert back to a third liner uh, in Nashville. It's got to be James Neal. And I I will admit it's a little surprising to call first-line player a dark horse, uh, but he really has uh, stepped up his game uh, primarily by eliminating the bad penalties. That was one of the most aggravating things about him when he was in Pittsburgh. Uh, And he's hit 20-plus goals every season in his career, even the lockout-shortened one. And so James Neal, uh, a guy that maybe uh, I wouldn't quite put into impact player status just because he can go on slumps. He's a little bit... Uh, lesser known in in my opinion and so I think that makes him a dark horse as far as your kind of sleepers Paul who do you got
1: well for Nashville I'm going to say Ryan Ellison kind of a point to be made here AJ this might be the one area where Nashville has the edge over Chicago and that is defensive depth certainly we have the name recognition of Yossi and Subban which might be the equal of uh, the top pair of uh, Seabrook and Keith in Chicago. But then the next best guy on either squad at that position for me is Ryan Ellis, and he needs to be a big difference maker in order for them to have any shot here and give them a pronounced edge along the blue line. So that's the guy on their their side of the equation. On the Hawks side, I kind of agree with you that somebody has to emerge at the second center position for Chicago. There's some concern about Anisimov who is expected to be ready, but he was uh, rested in the late stages of the regular season. Hopefully, he's good to go and anchor that second scoring unit, which, again, would uh, make their pronounced edge offensively that much better against uh, Nashville. So two guys that could really be difference makers in terms of the respective matchups are featured uh, in my, my eyes. Bringing us to our key matchup in this series, AJ.
0: Well, it has to be special teams. We talked about that at the top. Uh, neither team has done much really on either side of the man, a, man advantage they've both been kind of middling at best whether it's on the power play or the penalty kill so if one team's power play can step up get a little bit better uh, in this you know down the stretch here and take advantage of the weakness of the other team's penalty kill I think that's going to kind of turn the tide uh, for this series and so it really for me just comes down to special teams Paul, what about you as far as keys?
1: I think you touched on one. I certainly think uh, part and parcel uh, of another, any hopes that Nashville has is to steal something early. Uh, the, so it's, pred- it's predicated on their, their defense being better than uh, much better than the Hawks defense and able to withstand the uh, relentless approach of the top two lines that Chicago can throw at them. So again, kind of a forward and defense thing uh, for me, whether the Hawks can uh, exert some of their on paper dominance uh, on the offensive side of the puck against that uh, defense for nashville which is talented so if they can withstand that they can extend this series i just think that there's too much playoff pedigree though and i'm taking the hawks in five games what about you
0: i agree hawks in five uh there's just too much experience here the, this group has been there before as you pointed out they know how to win both sides have good goaltending but only one of them has uh, multiple titles, and so I think that will be the ultimate determinant in this series.
1: All right, and now we'll go to the next one, that's Minnesota and St. Louis. Again, these two teams knew they would match up uh, a while ago. It brings together teams that are pretty equal in terms of special teams. With the Wild, twenty-one percent on the power play, 20 eighty-two point nine on the PK. Blues are twenty-one point three and eighty-four point eight. So a slight edge to them in both categories. The season series went in favor of St. Louis as well but for me, uh, I think a real key matchup here is in net. So AJ, why don't you talk to me about the goalies here?
0: Well, yeah, absolutely. That That is a, a key component here. Devin Dubnik has been uh, pretty solid all season long. At, at one point, I think we were ready to just hand him uh, the Vesna trophy uh, for that kind of extended winning streak. Now he went on to slump a little bit, but he's kind of back and ready to go uh, 3-0-2 in his last uh, five outings. And so, Uh, You know, you can't really fault him too much for those overtime losses. Obviously, you want him to be better. um, But, you know, a little offensive support can go a long way in those overtime contests. And so uh, I think it's going to come down to to Dubnik uh, going up against Jake Allen, who, again, is another guy who uh, has been a little inconsistent. He started off really strong, seemed to really own uh, that number one role there uh, after Brian Elliott was, was shipped off. Um, But I think he's also been exposed uh, from time to time, and some of his weaknesses have been capitalized on.
1: Uh, I'm going to agree with your assessment there, and I'm also going to say that... uh, I think whoever plays better can win this series. It's, uh, there's not much to choose from between these teams, so a real key matchup. Dubnik, for his part, has been a guy who has been touted as one of the top five goalies in hockey for much of the year, but I didn't like the way he finished the season, AJ, to be quite honest. Allen, for his part, flown, lo- flown below the radar. He's playing behind a very deep team that we've highlighted many, many times over the last year that St. Louis has a lot of depth uh, at forward and on defense so maybe not a guy that gets the accolades that he should in terms of impact players uh, in this series AJ what do you look at
0: well I'll start with Miko Koivu from Minnesota now he's certainly not uh, the only vet on this team but he was uh, you know third on the team in points per game at 0.73 uh, not a ton of goals just 18 but he gets pucks on sticks he's got 40 assists this year Uh, So pretty significant number there. And I think that's what they're really going to need from him is to find ways to get, uh, you know, specifically Eric Halla and Michael Grandlin, uh, his linemates to the net and and get those guys keyed up and uh, set up for goals. On the flip side, you have to look to Alex Petrangelo. He's really, uh, you know, been forced to step up after Shattenkirk was traded away. He's got 19 points in 21 games. Uh, since the deadline and he's averaging you know 26 uh, 32 and 305 on the power play in terms of ice time both of those are above his season averages uh, and so really has taken on a a much bigger role after Shattenkirk uh, was traded and I I think that was a big question mark could Petrangelo step up now so far he's done it and he's going to need to continue to do it to get them into the postseason Uh, so those are kind of two guys that I look uh, to have an impact on the series Paul, what about you?
1: Well, I'm going to go with uh, two superstars, really. Vladimir Tarasenko. Boy, what can you say about this guy? He's a highlight reel waiting to happen. But I love the fact that he's built so strongly. He's a powerfully built young man, and he can do it all. And I, I look at him and I look at the Minnesota team. I don't think there's anybody that they can ha- they have that can limit this guy if he's on top of his game. So if he plays better than anybody else, that again tips the scales for me in terms of of uh, Minnesota minnesota St. Louis forecast. Uh, For the Minnesota team, you highlighted one center, I'm going to highlight another, and that's Eric Stahl, who's played uh, well above the expectations that I had for him all season. That's going to need to continue in, in order for them to To maintain a bit of an edge that I see in the middle of the ice, they have a trio of guys that are going to be a real handful. When you bring in the the hulking Marty Hanzel, who's uh, given the defensive responsibility, that's three pretty big centers that the the Wild can throw out there and maybe gives them an edge down the middle against St. Louis because uh, St. Louis has got only two guys, I think, that I would... Uh, have any confidence in the middle of the ice and that Paul Paul Stastny and maybe Yori Laterra. beyond that they're throwing a lot of inexperience the other way so that's the way I see it there what about uh, for you
0: the dark horses in this series well for Minnesota I I look to Jason Pommenville and don't let the fourth line role fool you he's still an elite level player Uh, he was limited to 57 games this year still managed 30 points uh, and he's got two goals and three assists in his last seven. So he's starting to heat back up a little bit. And so uh, I, I think he ends up being a dark horse only because of his line uh, assignment. But he easily, in my opinion, could be a top six uh, a winger on this team or, or on other teams in the league. And so I think it's, it's just the role he's been dealt. He seems to be, uh, you know, f- settling into that well. Uh, on the flip side, it's, it's a little bit of an unknown in Vladimir Subotka. uh in general, You know, NHL rules kind of prohibit this type of late season, you know, retooling or or adding of guys. Um, But it's a unique circumstance that kind of defies the usual set of, uh, you know, set of rules that would prevent this. Um, And he racked up 30 points in 41 regular season games in the KHL, plus added another 10 during their postseason. So this is a guy that's already been through a playoff situation. And so he got a goal in his first game back. Uh, and, he, you know, it's hard to know exactly what to expect. The KHL is a great proving ground, great testing ground, um, but it is a different game. The the ice is bigger. They play uh, generally on Olympic size, uh, in my understanding, over there. And so it's yeah. it's definitely a different game. And so it'll be interesting to see how he figures this out, how he slots into their lineup. But to be able to add a guy that's already been through a pretty significant uh, postseason in the, the KHL already is a huge boost I think to this team.
1: Absolutely I'm going to counter with one young guy and one older guy as uh, terms of uh, dark horses for me in St. Louis it's Alex Steen this guy is, is not uh, when you think about the St. Louis players he's not the guy you think about right off the top of the head your head but he's one of the more responsible guys a great two-way player who has a, had a fine career and a guy that's often overlooked at this time of year but you need the old pros that, that can deliver the goods on a nightly basis and you can throw this guy in any situation and uh, he comes to play and and he knows when the chips are down that you can count on him and for the other side I'm going to say Matt Dumba of Minnesota a young defenseman who's kind of finding his way and been groomed very nicely in a deep Minnesota circumstance this is a chance for him to show well on the big stage and to uh, to see if he can highlight what I think is a bit of an edge that Minnesota has in terms of their defensive depth over St. Louis and it wasn't so long ago that there would be no way that I would be able to say that but I think such is the case today. Bringing us to our key matchups and your prediction, AJ.
0: Well, I, you know, we talked about this already and, and primarily I want wanted to avoid kind of talking about the goaltenders and the key matchups. But I really do think in this circumstance, that's what's going to separate this team is Jake Allen against Devin Dubnyk. Uh, these teams are just so even across the board uh, and they've both got, you know, uh, a good combination of youth and experience on their lineups. They've got guys that can score across kind of all three lines both sides have a, a shutdown defender or two you got you know ryan sutter for minnesota you got pedrangelo uh, for st louis and so it really comes down to the miners who've both had their ups and downs this season so it'll likely come down to whoever's hottest uh, at the end at the right time and so for me The way I see that shaking out is going to be the Blues in seven. I think it's going to be close, but ultimately in a seven-game series, I think that wears a little bit on Minnesota's veterans. Uh, And I think really only Tarasenko is that elite player that can kind of take over a, a game. So I expect he could steal one for St. Louis here and there. So that's why I give them the edge. Uh, in this contest, Paul, what's your key, and who comes out on top?
1: Well, I like I like the fact that you highlighted the goalies. For me, I'm going to go back to the fact that over their uh, recent. Uh, performance it's a little more even but uh, I'll look longer range and say Dubnik has the better resume heading into the series and and I like the fact that Minnesota's depth stacks up at least the equal of St. Louis and for that reason I think Minnesota with the edge at center that I highlighted too is going to prevail so this is the second series where we disagree I'm taking them wild in six games we go to Anaheim and Calgary uh, next. The Ducks with a power play efficiency of eighteen point seven, a PK eighty four point seven. Flames better on the power play with twenty point two, but worse on the PK with eighty one point six. But the story here is is. Calgary has had a real tough time playing against Anaheim for not just this year but the last few years and uh, that uh, that leads you to a 4-1 conclusion for the Ducks in the regular season here and uh, you know previewing the rest of it uh, everything seems to tilt their way. Uh, You'd like to make a better case for Calgary let's see if we can by starting at the goaltender position AJ.
0: Well I'm not sure that's that's the best place to start as far as making a, a better sell for Calgary uh, you mentioned the kind of one-sided nature. Uh, I believe, if I saw correctly, it's been about 25 consecutive games uh, since the, the Flames were able to get one in Anaheim. It's a right. place that they don't uh, like to play. And so uh, the net minding is, is a little bit of a question mark. Now, uh, Brian Elliott took a little while to settle into his role. At one point, he was benched for, for backup Chad Johnson, but you know that uh, he shook that off again, another little bit of a slump of late one win and four losses in his last five with a, a 3.29 goals against average. The question mark, I, I think really is going to be Gibson on the other side. Right. We just haven't seen so much of him lately. Uh, he's got the two wins since being back. And so we expect him to be uh, back to that, you know, top end uh, netminder that he is. But it's really a big question mark as far as how that shakes out. Um, for me, heading into impact players, I like Patrick Eves for Anaheim. You know, his impact since joining the Ducks just can't be ignored. Nine goals in his last 11 games, 29 shots over that stretch, which gives him a 31% shooting percentage. That's really off the charts. He clearly is enjoying his time in California, having come over from, from Dallas. Uh, on the flip side for Calgary, Sean Monahan is a guy that I look to have an impact he came up just shy of reaching 60 points for the third straight go- uh, time. He did end the season on a four-game slump. That's a little bit of a, a concern, and he'll need to get back on track uh, if they're going to get out of the first round. So those are my impact, guys. Who, Paul, do you see making an impact?
1: Well, I I look for a couple of guys uh, that are really synonymous with these teams. Corey Perry for Anaheim. Kind of, he's been there for the whole period of dominance that you highlighted in terms of this matchup and uh, he's been split up from his running mate uh, get for much of the season that's to spread the wealth here and in a tough physical series you won't see this guy shy away you know exactly where he's going to be parked he's going to try and disrupt things right in front of Elliott all day long every game and so I think he has a chance to uh, extend that mastery and I'm looking for Johnny Gaudreau to play havoc with the uh, Ducks uh, defense I don't think the Ducks have A physical guy that can wipe this guy out or maybe the speed to deal with him and I think he has an so I think he has an edge at the other end of the ice and really that's why I highlighted both guys I think they have both got an edge over the the possible counterparts that uh, will try and shut them down in terms of dark horses AJ why don't you lead us into that discussion
0: yeah so for Anaheim uh, I'm gonna look to Anton uh, Vermette you know I think he took a while to get back to 100% after uh, an injury kind of uh, took him out for a couple games you know he went seven games without a point but then he ended the year with six points in his last seven and he's on a third line role with Corey Perry uh, and I think the two of them are just a difficult matchup for, for Calgary to kind of figure out who to put out against them I mean if you put out their t- your top line against their third you know especially when you're at home and have that last change you can maybe Put your first line out there i don't know that that's the best matchup for them uh, because both these guys are vets uh, they know how to play uh, two-way hockey uh, and so i think vermette along with perry kind of uh, are dark horses in this primarily because of their responsibilities in a third line role uh, for calgary matthew Tichuk, i think is your dark horse here overall a really solid rookie campaign 13 goals 35 assists. Uh, His ice time is just 1440, which, you know, you'd like that to be a little bit higher, but he is still pretty young. You're easing him into the NHL. Uh, You don't want to rush these things. Now, I will say since coming back from that two game suspension, he has just two assists in eight games. And so that's definitely a concern. No goals there. I'm not sure if that suspension kind of messed with his head a little bit, uh, got him off his game, but they need to find a way to get him back uh, to producing like he was earlier in the season. Those are my dark horses. Any sleepers that stand out for you, Paul?
1: For me, it's got to be a guy on Calgary who hasn't been around for much of that dominance that we've highlighted a couple of times. That's Sam Bennett at center. Uh, Otherwise, uh, there's a pronounced edge for Anaheim on paper in the middle of the ice. If, If a guy like Bennett can't rise up and negate some of that, I think it could be a real short time for Calgary in the playoffs. In terms of Anaheim... One of the reasons that I think that they will prevail is they've got some, a variety of scoring options. Rickard Raquel, maybe one of the lesser lo- known of those, but he's got a second line role on the left wing. He plays power play minutes over there and a guy who will be overlooked at pool, in pools, but you can bank on him to be productive offensively playing alongside Ryan Kessler, Kessler, who gives them that big edge in the middle of the ice that I highlighted. We'll go on now to our picks uh, for this series. AJ, what do you think? Well, Key for- matchup too, sorry.
0: Yep. Yep. uh, For me, the key is going to be the Ducks' depth against the Calgary D. Now, Calgary's defense has done a great job offensively this season. Hamilton got 50 points. Giordano got 39. Brody got 30. But their plus-minus is not nearly as impressive. Hamilton uh, is the top of that group at plus 22. But then it uh, drops off, or excuse me, uh, yeah, Hamilton's at plus 22, then drops off to Giordano at plus 12. And only other two other players are in the positive. Brody is at the bottom in a minus 16. Uh, And so the ducks uh, have scores on all three lines that I think can test the defensive capability of the flames uh, for all their, you know, good uh, job offensively. I think they've really struggled on defense and that hasn't helped Brian Elliott uh, by any stretch. And so because of how that matchup shakes out, I think ultimately it'll be the ducks in six. They've got more depth at the forward position Gibson, I think, when healthy, has been more consistent. Yes, it's a little bit of an unknown, um, but I look for him to kind of uh, settle in. Uh, and so I, I, I have doubted Elliott for much of the season. You know, I, I know I called for Chad Johnson to be their permanent number one earlier in the year, uh, and so maybe he proves me wrong again. Uh, but I expect the Ducks in six. Paul, what's your matchup and uh, pick?
1: I agree with everything you said. Uh, I, I think <laughs> that the Ducks' uh, offensive depth and, and the size is going to put pressure on a Calgary defense that's getting a little older, a little longer in the tooth. And, you know, where once uh, I heralded this group as a very deep group, that one of the most skilled They're starting to show some cracks, and I think the Ducks will expose even more of them in this series. And I think we're being generous. I'll agree with the six games uh, in favor of Anaheim in this call. And that brings us to our final series uh, of this uh, first round, and that's Edmonton and San Jose. Uh, something old and something new the oilers new to the playoffs in the last few years they're banking on their power play uh, to be continuing to click at 20 22.9 one of the better marks in the league their pk was 80.7 look at the pronounced edge when you look at the sharks power play 16.7 that's about a 6.2 percent difference heading into the postseason they're equal in the pk so uh, if the sharks have uh have to hope that they can bolster that to close this gap the regular season series was 3-2 in favor of Edmonton the goaltending matchup is Talbot and Jones what say you about the the outlook there
0: well yeah I I think the biggest uh, travesty here is that these teams are facing each other in the first round yeah Uh, they're definitely two of the best clubs in the West, and this is something that uh, I think needs to maybe be addressed long term you know you They've tried to do this division rival first round thing, and, and while that's great, I think you'd love to see this game determining who uh, comes out of the West. I think that would even boost your kind of division rival matchup. So for for starters, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox here, but I, I think it's it's bad for the league that this is a first round uh, competition, and both these teams are going to be out in terms of goaltending. Uh, I have to give the edge to Martin Jones only because. Of everything he did last year I think this season they've both been uh pretty consistent they've been uh, on top of their game you might even give Talbot the edge based on this season but you have to look at the entire body of work the playoffs are just a different animal and it's something that Martin Jones went through last season uh, all the way to the Stanley Cup final yeah in terms I, go ahead, oh, go ahead no, Paul. no no you go ahead that's fine <laughs> I was gonna just lead into my my impact players okay. from there uh for Edmonton Leon Drysidle. Uh, I think McDavid, like Sid and Ovechkin, is going to need help. And Dreisaitl has been crucial to him reaching those 100 points this season. Uh, he's got 21 points in his last 14 games, and that gave him a season total of 77 in, in all 82, with 27 of those points coming down the power play as well. Uh, and so I think Leon Dreisaitl is a, is an important key uh, player to help Connor McDavid kind of lead the charge here. On the flip side, you look at Logan Kurtur, and I do think part of his impact is whether or not he's going to be ready for game one. He's been skating. He's been wearing uh, a face shield to kind of protect uh, his mouth after, you know, taking that puck. Uh, and so with him out of the lineup, I think we've seen their forward depth really, really stretched. You know, Joe Thornton was out too. And so that obviously contributed to it. Uh, but Couture's missed the, the last seven. He was on a four game point in streak prior to getting hurt. Um, But when he's healthy, he's a force on the ice, and I really think they need him back if they have any hope of getting past the first round. Uh, that's how I see the goalies shaking out and who the impact players are. Paul, what did you see?
1: Yeah, I think in, the, in terms of the goalie matchup, Cam Talbot, you can arguably make the case that he's... Uh, 1b in terms of the most valuable player to Edmondson. circumstance everybody knows about what they got out of Dreisaitl and McDavid up front but Talbot was a real key in net and Marty Jones has now solidified himself as definitely one of the better starting goalies in hockey for a second straight year the stats do prove that out so there's not much to choose from these guys between these guys in net let's call that even in, in the nets in terms of an impact player I'm going to say for Edmonton it's going to be a guy like a Jordan Eberle. He's kind of been overlooked when it comes to uh dry Seidel and McDavid. We covered them off enough, but for Edmonton to continue to uh, in this playoff, they're going to need more than that. Uh, so I look for a second line guy like an Eberle to play some key minutes and and produce key offense for this team if they hope to emerge and, and really you can't call him a dark horse because he is one of their core guys and I think uh deservedly so and one of the smartest guys in terms of a hockey IQ you'll see that at this time of year that that does tend to bear itself and then on the other side of the coin i'll highlight a thomas hurdle when you think of uh, the san jose attack you certainly think of the older guys but they've groomed this guy to be part of the next wave and he's kind of found his way into first line minutes and top six minutes and power play time uh, alongside all the other veterans and i think he's a real key for the san jose offense in terms of dark horses aj what do you have
0: yeah, so for, for Edmonton, uh, it's maybe a little bit of a stretch to call Oscar Clefbaum a, a dark horse being on their top pairing. But I think all the focus defensively is going to be on Brent Burns and his offensive you know, production and everything he can do. And so that's going to overshadow the, the other side. Clefbaum notched a 38 points uh, as their leading blue line scorer. And he's going to need to continue to do that because you know that the sharks are going to get scoring from their blue line. And so he really needs to step up in terms of a dark horse, uh, for the sharks. I think Patrick Marlowe is, is a player that fits that role. Uh, he's got 27 goals this season. Uh, that that's a, a pretty high mark for him. In fact, uh, he hasn't been quite that high since 2013, 14, when he got 33. So, uh, a good solid year for him. He's always in the lineup. It's his, uh, I don't believe actually he's missed a game in his career uh, i'd have to double check on how many games were played in that uh, that lockout shortened season but anytime there have been a full 82 games he's been in the lineup every night and so that's that's another key there for him you know he's going to be on the ice you know he's going to contribute uh, and so for me he's definitely a dark horse uh, in their lineup
1: well and a guy that i like on the edmonton blue line is darnell nurse this guy's been groomed to be a Uh, Shut down defenseman, but he has a tremendous offensive upside and we're just starting to scratch the surface in terms of his overall game I think and it won't be long before you realize uh, the NHL entirely realizes just how good a player this guy is and maybe he can be uh, Zdeno Chara light uh, I'll say is the ceiling that he projects and that's not that's not too bad and we might see part of that uh, emerge in this series so for me on this that side of the coin he is a player to watch and on the other side veteran Joel Ward he's a guy that's often going to be overlooked in playoff pools and that sort of thing but if you go with San Jose you got to look at this guy not o- not only just for his third line minutes with it but also the fact that he's a feature guy on one of their power play units and a guy that consistently rises up in the biggest of games so it's a big game factor that makes me pick uh, Joel Ward there. Key matchup that you see and your pick for the series?
0: Well I think the key matchup is going to be Paul Martin uh, going up against Connor McDavid. Now, look, Burns is going to be a factor defensively. I don't want to downplay his abilities in in the defensive end of the ice, but that's not his primary responsibility. Paul Martin has spent his career paired up with offensively minded guys. Right now, it's Brent Burns. Previously, it was Chris Letang, and he gets matched up against their top players. If he can slow down, he's not going to stop. Nobody's going to completely stop Connor McDavid. But if he can slow down McDavid, I think that'll get them the edge. Now, can he pull that off? I don't think so. I think it's going to be Oilers in seven. It's going to be a tough, uh, you know, long contest. And ultimately, while I do think they'll maybe slow down McDavid uh, and stretch out the series, I think Connor McDavid is just too much to handle for them outside of, you know, that outside of their top line. It does drop off a little bit, which I think is going to factor into why this goes seven games. But Connor McDavid will put this team on his shoulders, in my opinion, and get them out on top.
1: You know what? I've seen enough of McDavid and company to tell you that you're right on the money here, AJ. I, I tend to watch a lot of their games late at night uh, and and see that this team can play a very up-tempo game. And against a an, uh, San Jose team that's getting a little longer in the tooth in terms of their key players, I just wonder if they can keep up. And I'm going to say maybe in six games for Edmonton and uh i give i give them the duke uh, i just think they've got too much sp- skill too much speed and I don't know how San Jose counteracts that and I don't like the fact that Brent Burns has had kind of an ordinary second half by his standards too he'll need to raise that level to uh, level the playing field in this series so that's our breakdown we agree on six of the picks oddly enough disagree on two so there's not much to choose from we hope that we're on the same side uh, at the end of the day uh, as the winning teams to make us look better than we did in our regular season picks but uh, <laughs> AJ let's uh, let's talk a little bit about FanDuel we do have to remind our listeners That we will get back to the FanDuel picks next show. But right now, I want to remind you all that baseball fans, the wait's over. Baseball's back, which means FanDuel is back, and it's better than ever. FanDuel, where fantasy baseball is there for everyday fans, there's new contests starting every day. No busted seasons. Just pick a contest, choose your team, and compete against other fans new this year there's an upgraded experience and i love the fact that they have late swap contests you can edit your players right up to the start of their individual games no more worrying about that late lineup scratch or a sudden storm that kills one of your games and maybe takes out a couple of your players non-late swap contests are still available too and there's updated scoring which rewards quality starts that were added to pitchers so you'll have more control over their own performances they have a friends mode, AJ, and we got to create a league for our friends to uh, choose the days you play each week. Contests will be created automatically for you. Plus, there's a leaderboard that will keep track of how you all stack up against each other. And uh, AJ, have you dived into the baseball yet this season?
0: Uh, just a little bit. Uh, had a couple uh, lineups that I've thrown out there. Still trying to get the lay of the land. Uh, not exactly my my area of expertise. I usually wait until after uh, the penguins either win the stanley cup or are knocked off to kind of switch my focus to baseball
1: yeah i agree with you the homework part of the thing is going on for me i like to see a bit of a track record before i start to throw money around i'll play the free games though if, if fanful wants to throw uh, <laughs> wants to throw some more our way i enjoy those that we get to do on a weekly basis but in terms of getting my feet wet i'm in the homework mode right now getting ready to dive in a little more forcefully in the coming weeks we remind all our friends to have all the fantasy that baseball has to offer. FanDuel, be sports rich. Sign up today. Go to FanDuel.com RW. There's a special offer for, offer for new users. Deposit today and you'll get a free six-month Rotowire subscription plus five free entries. That's up to $50 in value to try a variety of sports on FanDuel. That's FanDuel.com RW. And we'll remind you, don't forget to check out our daily baseball pods from Monday to Friday now, where we preview, preview all the daily MLB games in our DFS pods. I'll be on with John McKechnie tomorrow doing our Wednesday show where we highlight Fandle's best plays of the day and now AJ it's time to turn to our stud of the week you came up with this one it's a great story
0: yeah so our stud of the week is going to be Brian Bickle uh, getting back into the lineup after his uh, diagnosis with multiple sclerosis uh, that's certainly something uh, that uh, makes you feel for the guy it's it's a tough situation it's a tough disease uh, you know it's one that uh, hopefully uh, we can knock out with a, a cure in, in the years to come. But uh, to see him get back on the ice for the final four games with Carolina uh, was huge. And, and even perhaps uh, more astonishing is uh, he gets the goal uh, in the shootout uh, in overtime. Now, Brian Bickle is certainly not a guy that was frequently going to be used in a shootout. But sometimes, uh, you know, there's other things that need to transcend winning and losing in and, and hockey games. And I think putting him out there for a final shift and to see him get that uh, that goal uh, and see his teammates celebrate was really a special moment.
1: Yeah, not only that, but as he was coming back to the benches, even the Flyers uh, held up their hands and they gave him some uh, recognition high fives for getting the goal given the circumstance so really a class act by the way the flyers reacted even though they sc- he scored against them in that circumstance and again really didn't mean anything in the standings but it meant everything to have him to go out that way and uh, i echo your sentiments we hope that there's a cure out there but a solid citizen like brian bickle gets to take a final bow on the nhl ice and i think it was uh, great the way that uh, the event unfolded and uh, we wish him all the best uh, in his upcoming battle On the flip side, you know, we talk about a solid citizen like Brian Bickle, and then we talk about a rat like (laughs) like Brad Marchand. Let's just let that marinate for a second, folks. This guy earned his seventh suspension of his career with two games left in the regular season for a spear, a premeditated and intentional attempt to hurt somebody. Now, he got two games, so basically he gets to rest himself before the playoffs. He must have felt like that kid that you hated in grade school, who got in trouble regularly but never really got more than a slap on the hand who skips down the hall and says ha ha i fooled the establishment again that's this guy's seventh suspension i mean a repeat offender is supposed to get the book thrown at him at some point this suspension was meaningless aj and i'd like to have seen him miss at least a few playoff games to make a point and maybe have this guy change his ways i mean he's a leopard that won't change his
0: spots i know in my heart of hearts but this was garbage well paul i mean as much as I agree with you, I would have liked to see the NHL come down harder. Uh, the minute that they announced he was going to have a hearing, I immediately said two-game suspension. They're not going to eliminate a guy like Brad Marchand with all of his offensive contributions from the postseason. I think they should have. I agree with your sentiment on that, especially as a, a repeat offender uh, for you know the re- constant suspensions, it seems like. Um, but you knew the minute that they called the hearing that this was going to be a two-game suspension for meaningless games that he was probably going to sit out anyway.
1: Well, we hope that they, if he does get suspended an eighth time, maybe they do make an example of him finally. But this is just too much, uh, too much in the wrong direction for me. AJ, we've given our thoughts. Now it's time for the players to play, and uh, we'll sit back and, uh, until next, uh, next Tuesday when we get to take a look at our progress report on these series and get back to our DFS. And uh, that wraps up this week's podcast with Statsman and AJ. Remember to send your comments and questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. We ask you to look out for Puckcast Hockey Pod every week so that you get all the latest news and our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy contests. So long, everybody.